0: Luke chapter 4. And we're going to begin reading in verse 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country and he taught in their synagogues being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and as was his custom he went to the synagogue on the Sunday on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus begins his ministry with a distinct calling of God on his life. And this morning we want to reflect. Briefly on these words and how these words can motivate and change us and direct us as we depend upon God's leading and as we allow God's leading to interpret for us the opportunities that come our way so as to speak wholeness and health and healing into the lives of those around us. Recently, about a month and a half ago, my wife and I had the opportunity to go to Edmonton for some strange and exorbitant reason. And And there was a conference going on, a break conference, a fantastic gathering of believers from across Canada and North America as we we worshipped together, and there were over 200 seminars that we could go to, and you got to choose four of them. And so I thought, oh, that's okay. And I had a chance to go and listen to Greg Pauls, who runs a ministry in Toronto called Sanctuary, and it was that seminar that that began to once again awaken in me some of the the past readings that I've done and and some of my childhood uh, instructions that have come my way, to realize that God is calling us to a place of demonstrating His grace and His wholeness and His life to people around us. Sometimes people that are marginalized or forgotten or are classified as society's shadows. But God calls us. And the first part of this passage as we read it is, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And this really becomes the foundation for our response to God's call in our life. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. We need to know our place, know our relationship with God. That we are centered in who Christ is. That the Holy Spirit is guiding us. He has anointed me, Christ reads. That means He has called us. We are His children. We are no longer strangers to God. And as dearly loved children who are called the royal priesthood, we are called to serve. We are called to a place of being salt and light in the world around us. God has prepared for us a job, a task, an opportunity, a privilege. And He's handcrafted it so as to meet just us. You know, this morning I reflected with the early crew as we gathered together that, you know, as, as, as a congregation, it, it's habitual for us to celebrate when God calls young people to works of service or ministry trips. And we celebrate when the youth go out and they do, you know, fantastic things led by the Spirit of God and lives are changed and we rejoice with them when they come back and they report how lives have been transformed and their own included and how they feel a calling upon God to go out and minister in His name and we rejoice and we should. But I'm always curious to know, when does the calling stop? Like, when is it? Is suddenly the calling over when we retire? or is it when we're 68 or maybe 72 when does it stop when does the Holy Spirit stop moving in a person's life and and stop directing them and stop anointing them well that's a rhetorical question because we know it doesn't never stops God's calling on our life might change us how we respond But it never stops. He has anointed us. He has called us to do what? Christ begins to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim the gospel to the poor. who are the poor? Well, earlier in Matthew, we read an account where Jesus was at a banquet in Matthew 26 page 832, if you're following along. And there in the banquet, he's anointed as a woman comes in with some expensive perfume and pours it on his feet. And the disciples are a little concerned because, hey, listen, wait a minute. You could take that stuff, you could sell it, you could use that money to feed the poor. And Jesus responds in verse 11, for you will always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. What he's saying here is he's saying two key things. He's saying a statement of justice and then a statement for justification. Later on in verse 12, he goes, She has done this thing to prepare me for burial, justification. Jesus taking upon himself the price it took to free us of our sins. Jesus taking upon his own body our guilt, our penalty. And when he says, you will always have the poor, those who knew the scriptures, those who knew the law, remembered right away what he was referring to. And if you turn back to Deuteronomy 15, page 158. Deuteronomy 15, Jesus is referring to the law that God was giving to the people of Israel. And in that law, God gives to them a moral law, he gives to them a dietary law, and he gives to them a social law how they need to live in obedience to God. And he says in in chapter 15, at the end of every seven years, you shall grant a release. And this is the manner of the release. Every creditor will release what he has lent to his neighbor. He shall not exact it of his neighbor, his brother, because of the Lord's release has been proclaimed. Of a foreigner, you may exact it, but whatever of yours is with your brother, your hand shall release. But there will be, here's a key part, but there will be no poor among you, for the Lord will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance to possess. If only you will strictly obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all His commandments that I am commanding you today. So notice here, he gives them an, a, an, an instruction. Every seven years, cancel the debt. In fact, he goes on to describe that every 49 years, not only do you cancel the debt, but you return the land to the, to the original families. And not only do you do that, but you save up for a grand religious party. You're not supposed to do any work for a whole year, and God will supply your need for the 50th year and then into the 51st year. God would supply their needs. How are they supposed to do that? By obeying the voice of the Lord. But then what does Moses reflect on? Just a few verses down. Verse 11. But there will never cease to be poor in the land. What's he saying? There will never cease to be poor in the land because you will never begin to hear the voice of the Lord. You see, if you heard the voice of the Lord, there wouldn't be any poor in the land. But there will never cease to be poor in the land. And so when Jesus refers to that, you will always have the poor, what is he saying? You're still not hearing me. You won't always have me. You will always have the poor because you're not hearing the voice of God. Preach good news to the poor. Not only is this a literal interpretation that we need to focus on those who are marginalized in our communities because we are so want to move up the social ladder. And God's saying, forget that natural tendency. Focus on the marginalized. But He's also instructing us that we need to preach to the poor in spirit in Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. And what's he talking about? The poor in spirit, and some would want us to say that blessed are the poor, for in spirit theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And that's not what it's talking about. Just because you are poor doesn't mean that you are closer to God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who recognize their emptiness and brokenness, their addictiveness and suffering before God. How easy it is for us in middle classdom to hide from God, to hide our poverty, Our broken spirits, our ruined relationships, our fears, our anxieties, our addictions. Addicted to food, addicted to coffee, addicted to gossip. Addicted to play. Addicted to hide from God. To hide our brokenness, to hide our neediness, to hide our wantedness. We want To be loved. For we are indeed poor apart from God. I have come to proclaim good news to the poor. And He sets for us an example. And when God sends us, when God gives us a divine calling, He gives us the divine strength, the divine power to fulfill that calling because God has set for us a divine mandate, a task that only we can accomplish. What does He tell us to do? Luke chapter 4 again. To proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovery of sight to the blind, liberty for those who are oppressed, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, freedom for those who are, are captured by addictions, freedom from those who are shackled by anger, freedom from those who are suffering from sin, to find their freedom in Christ and in Christ alone, recovery of sight to the blind, those who do not see Christ, seeing Christ, those who are living without hope, finding hope those who are suffering from, from guilt of not being forgiven, receiving the freedom of forgiveness, to release the oppressed. Romans chapter 12 tells us that we need to mourn with those who mourn, that we need to comfort the suffering, that we look for ways of bringing justice to the marginalized. And how do we go about doing that? How is it possible for us to be involved in these activities that God has prescribed for His Son Jesus and to us. I think Paul gives us a glimpse of how that works. In Romans chapter 10, page 946. In Romans chapter 10, Paul says in verse 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. This is what it takes. Simply confessing with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and to believe in our hearts. That's all that's required. To go from a place of death to life, to go from a place from impoverishment to riches, to go from a place of feeling abandoned to feeling loved. For it is with the heart one believes and is justified and it is is with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. Notice here for a moment, Jew and Greek. The greatest distinction between insider and outsider The Jews, those who had been taught from infancy that they had a heart for God, that they had been called by God, that this was, God had called them their people, that these were the ones that had had been set aside, had been rescued, had been redeemed for God, the creator of all. And they had a heart that yearned to express itself emotionally and in worship to this great creator God. Versus the Greek, who valued. That the fittest would survive. Intellectual understanding. Who mocked religious emotionalism. The Jews and the Greek. Equal before God. And who are the insiders and outsiders. That we identify today. Isn't it. At times the rich and the poor. And we look at those who. Who look disheveled, who have nicotine stained hands and alcohol on their breath, and they come and we look at them and saying, Ooh, I'm not sure that God really loves you. We make a list of those who can be accepted and those who must be rejected by God. And yet Paul says there's no distinction. There's no distinction between the classes. There's no distinction between the area codes. There's no distinction between the economic status. There's no distinction between the languages. There's no distinction between the ethnic groups. We are all equal before God. Christ goes on and he says, I have come in Luke 4 to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. In the Old Testament, this is called the year of jubilee. That God would come and that society would redeem itself. That those who had been indebted would find freedom. That the economic stratas and, and, and mechanisms that had come into play that had marginalized some and enriched others would be smoothed out. That society would once again find its sustenance in the provision that God allowed. and also that people would find their their nectar for life on the level ground of the cross you see before the cross we're all equal before the cross we're all the same in needing the gift of god's grace to come and change us and in heaven there's no distinction James tells us an interesting account. In James chapter 2, he tells us that if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Faith by itself, it does not have works is dead. There's a combination that needs to happen between how we view God in our worship to God and how we view those around us in need of compassion. How are we doing? How are we collectively doing as a church? Well We have a food... You know We have a food pantry, and we're again in need of, of groceries for that. We have a clothes closet, which is visited regularly. We have a helping hands ministry that seeks to encourage people within our church with practical needs. We have care teams that go out and visit our seniors and our shut-ins. We have senior teams that go to our, our care homes and provide worship services each and every week. We have a chaplain to the seniors. We have a man of ministry. We have a prison ministry. We have those in our church who are fostering, adopting. We have parent care classes that we offer. We have youth support ministries, we have children support ministries, we have marriage support things. But what about me? What about you? What is God calling for you? What is God instructing in your life? What does the Lord require of you? Well, the prophet Micah, page 780, in Micah chapter 6, verse 8, tells us He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness? and to walk humbly with your God. How am I doing with that? I was looking for some statistics, and I know that statistics can be used in a variety of ways. But just to reflect, in March 2009, 794,738 Canadians went to food banks across the country. This was an 18% increase from 2008, almost 40% of whom were children. We found here in the Oceanside area that our food bank has increased its services from last year by about 30%. One in five children in British Columbia live in poverty. How are we to respond? There's a never-ending supply of those who need care. It's like a bottomless pit. It's like a continual conveyor. How do we respond? Well, let me suggest that we don't respond by simply taking this on as a project. People in a place of need are... People. You know, when we look at, at someone who is homeless, who, someone who's, who lives, who, who, who finds themselves on the edge of, of an economic situation, who finds themselves having to go to the food bank, who finds themselves at the end of their uh, check before the end of the month, and they recognize their need, they recognize their brokenness, they know they have nothing. And yet we who often live in comfort in middle-classdom fail to see our need. And we can learn from them. Paul goes on in, in Romans chapter 10. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Jesus says, I've come to proclaim good news to the poor. And what's God's call on your life? Even today. To preach good news. It's not simply good enough to live rightly. It's not simply good enough to live Christianly. We need to preach. We need to allow people to hear from our mouths the things that are happening in our heart. But how are they going to hear unless we rub shoulders with them? How are they going to hear down at the food bank unless we go and rub shoulders with them? How are they going to hear down at the food kitchen unless we go and rub shoulders with them? How are they going to hear down in downtown Parksville in the middle of the night when somebody's lonely and walking down the street in Chevron unless we rub shoulders with them? How are they going to hear at the career center when somebody's destitute and not knowing which way to turn unless we rub shoulders with them? shoulders with them how are they going to hear at tim hortons at 2am waiting for a bus unless we rub shoulders with them jesus tells us in matthew chapter 5 how blessed are the poor in spirit How blessed are those who know their brokenness. How blessed are those who know their emptiness. How blessed are those who know their incompleteness. And when we rub shoulders with people, we don't do it as if to lord it over them. And saying, you're lucky that middle classdom has moved in beside you. We do it because we recognize our own brokenness and hollowness and emptiness apart from Jesus Christ and we offer them Christ. Not suburbia. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. James tells us another story in his gospel. He tells the story of a church service and how in a church service one time a person came in of notoriety And coming to church, people noticed who this fellow was and they recognized through his clothes and manner and they probably knew him from reputation that here was an important person and so they gave him a place of honor. And then someone came in not known, not recognized, shabby dressed, smelling of three days worth of soccer practices And they said, you know, maybe you should sit back here close to the exit. And so when it, when we're all done, you can just sort of slip out. Or better still, why don't you sit, you know, kind of in the connections room and then just hear it over the PA system. And James goes on and says, you know, what are you doing? I mean, isn't it the rich who who are taking you to court isn't, the, isn't it the rich who are seeking to manipulate you isn't it the rich who are seeking to control you what are you doing blessed are the poor in spirit God has called us to proclaim good news to the poor He has called us to offer hope and help and healing to those who are marginalized. He wants us to engage our lives in the pursuit of his calling to such a degree that at the end of our days we can look back and say, Lord, I have done all that you've asked me to do. Thank you for the opportunity. The good news of Christ that Jesus provides for us that Paul reflects on in chapter 10 of Romans is to call upon him and have our sins forgiven. To ask Jesus into our life and to change us and to make us a new person and to, lo- and to lead us by his Holy Spirit and through the word into making choices that reflect who he is. You know, I find myself as the years keep progressing and I realize as I look in the mirror that there are more wrinkles than before, that, that my understanding of, of Christ and Jesus is, is changing somewhat. You know, I used to be captured by theories and, and arguments and statements. And I used to think that that's what really, really mattered. And then as we've been, again, singing today, the words of the songs have have once again affirmed in my own heart. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my life. Not but thee alone, right? Just Christ Breathe on me, breath of God. Fill me. Just Christ. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Just Christ. He knows my name. Just Christ. You know, a little bit, the team is going to come up and they're going to sing a couple of songs. And one of them is, I Surrender All. And as they're singing this song, I'm going to ask you to do something that just between you and God, and you may want to make that known by, by writing it out on, your, uh, on a little card and stuffing that into your Bible or taking that into your, you know, putting it in your pocket or something like that. You know, but the enemy of convictions are good intentions. And if the Holy Spirit has been convicting your heart and saying, I want you to do this. I want you to simply rub shoulders here with someone. I want you to simply go here. I want you simply to do this. I want you simply to extend yourself here. You know, it could be just as easy as phoning up someone that you know in the church and saying, can I pray with you? God's just been prompting me to to phone you up and pray with you. What's going on? It could be taking someone out for coffee. It could be volunteering to come over and sit with them. I know some of us don't have the energy to babysit, so don't offer that. But it could be any number of things. You know, I heard that you were. I heard that you weren't well. Baking an extra dozen cookies and bringing that over. An extra meatloaf. All right? What is it that God is prompting in your heart and saying, yeah, I want you to do this for me this week? And so as the team comes up, I'm going to invite them up now. Get ready to sing. And as the team comes up and as they're going to sing, I surrender all. What is it that God is prompting you to do? And how is it that he's asking you to respond to his call in your life? Because he promises to give you the strength. And he promises to help you. And he promises to sustain you. So that in the proclamation of good news, people may experience his life.